come with us. Into the wild wood. And find the magic within. Welcome fellow travellers into the Wildwood Pagan Podcast with your hosts, myself, Lee Johnson, and Rev Kai, who I'm guessing is over there. Nope, over. Oh, got it wrong. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Welcome back to Into the Wildwood. And how has everybody's week been? Hello, Yolandi. Uh, I'm here, Rev Kai's here. Solemn Sun, Lady Capera, how are you all doing? Thanks for joining. All right, so this week we are talking about ancestors. Um, and I, I can't remember who requested the uh, um, astronomy, astrology versus numerology, uh, but we will do that next week. Definitely, that's in the in the slot there. All right. She's east eye on a uh, on uh, in the Wildwood Temple, but I don't remember their YouTube handle. Oh. Well, maybe they'll give us a shot. All right. So, if you could give us a thumbs up if you like us, please do so. And uh, we'd like to hear from you in the chat. Ask your questions. Give your comments. And let's get rolling. Tell us your ancestry stories. Yeah. All right, so ancestors. Ancestors are those who have passed and those yet to come. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of people think of those yet to come. Mm. Or um, the contract that comes with recognizing the potential in ancestor veneration. Mm. Not saying doing it, not saying all of your ancestors are, we're not even to that yet. But once you recognize that there is a um, reciprocal potential, a beneficial relationship in ancestor veneration, you are morally obligated to be a good ancestor. Mm. which is giving good example, walking the path through. And, and providing for the coming generations. Mm. It, yes. it, it changes your perspective from my lifetime to a much longer view. I, I don't want to say all lifetimes, infinite, because if all things are sacred, nothing is sacred. But... Um, it does move that perspective out quite a bit further when you start thinking of, you know, what about the generation after I die? What about the generations seven after I die? You know, those sorts of things. Yeah. And I mean, when it is, and as you said, I mean, when it's ancestors to come, we are the ancestors to come. 
-hmm. So are those other generations coming after us, and we have to set the example so that they can set the example, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I do think uh, most people only think of ancestors as being those who have gone or those who have died. Yes, um, and, and I would say that um, in praxis, that that is where the focus is. Yeah, yeah. Um, in theory, in understanding, in, in the underlying worldview, it's, mm. you know, those yet to come. Because it's all a swirling, timeless, um, I don't know, wibbly-wobbly <laughs> something on the other side. It's not, mm. not time quite as we understand it. Yeah, I mean, one of one of the practices is not to put um, a photo of the li a living person on your ancestor altar because it's considered to be a pr bad practice. So mm -hmm. obviously, you wouldn't do that. So when you're actually sitting down on an ancestor altar, you would be uh, talking to, venerating those who have passed already. Um, so I think that's where that comes in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lady Kapera said ritual ablation to ancestor Ka Shabti or statues. Yeah, is uh, used for um, carrying the ancestors even in death, which I think is uh, an interesting facet. I mean, part of the reason uh, we think you know, Egyptian mythology is so heavily focused on the afterlife is because we keep raiding their graves. <laughs> so, mm. you know, th there's other things going on there too. Mm. Um, Solomson said, in regards to veneration offering, I get a little overwhelmed with glasses of water for them. I have a few in particular that I knew and those I didn't. Can I use a bowl of water for them all? Yeah, I do. I, I um, don't use separate glasses for separate and for separate offerings, really. I mean, yeah. I do have two glasses of water that I put on my altar every day, but um, it's because both of those glasses are extremely important, not because I need to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, on an, on an altar, it's focused on that aspect of, I mean, if you've got working with a collection of deities, you have them all on the same altar, unless, as I was saying recently, some of them don't get along, then you may create separate altars. But generally, mm. you have worked with the Pantheon, and that's all on one altar. We give offerings to the whole Pantheon, depending on what work we're doing. So it's the same thing. You have an ancestor altar, so you would give an, an offering to the ancestors, uh, plural. Um, Sorensen also said also, how necessary is the water on an ancestor altar? Necessary isn't the right word. Useful? I think necessary is the right word. Yeah. I mean, I, I do have a glass of water all the time, but occasionally I'll put a, a cup of tea on there because my dad used to like have his tea and whatnot, so... Yeah, the water is not just an offering. Water is also um, 
an excellent medium for resonance and moving energy through manifestation, um, talking to the other side. There's so many different ways it's phrased and understood mm -hmm. in so many different cultures. It's, it's not for the ancestors to drink the same way a cup of tea or their favorite beer or a cup of coffee is. Those things mm -hmm. work well because they also have water in them. They are also liquid. Um, but the water itself is more than just offering. It's part of what makes an altar functional. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk a lot about if you can't have an altar, you know, or anything else, you can get a cup of water and light a candle. That's, those are the, the, the core needed living, transmuting, help you connect components. You can, you can add much more. You can get scrying mirrors and, and bones to tap and all sorts of things. But those things um, really, 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 really help with communication which is part of what you're doing with an altar, uh, whether it's for ancestors or uh, landvites or um, deities or, or what, you know, whatever. So I would say that uh, water on an altar is necessary. Mm. If you want to, to have your prayers heard, if you'd like to hear them, their advice, if you'd like to, you know, facilitate communication. If it is just purely for remembrance and you're not interested in any kind of contact or any kind of magic, that sort of thing, then no, usually there's not water involved in that. Mm. There's actually an interesting thing from Mesopotamian, Sumerian um, lore about the underworld. Um, the underworld is basically the place where the dead go. There's no judgment or anything like that. That's just okay. where you go when you die. Um, but it's considered to be kind of like a, um, a system of caves and tunnels, and it's very dry. And the offerings that the families give are actually meant to um, go through to the underworld to their relatives and actually sustain them, because um, all the food and drink down there is dry. Uh, so you kind of give them water, um, liquid, so that they can it becomes not try. <laughs> that's part of the basis. Uh, that's mm. part of the basis for the uh, classical reasoning of the original elements or the original qualities, hot, cold, dry, and wet. Um, mm. And wet is uh, life, is related to life. It is life generating. It is life supporting. Dry is related to death. It is, uh, it causes death. It is far away from life. And mm. um, those characteristics uh, translated into earth, air, fire, and water, and, and that grid, but also into um, like the qualities of the planets and the qualities of plants. And when you, when you get those lists of magical qualities, and they say things like this is hot and wet, or this is dry and cold, and, and so on and so forth, a lot of those groupings, those correspondences are based on those original things. And we tend to um, classify things that are cold and dry as death, kind of mm. end of the spectrum, mm. and things that are hot and wet as life, end of the spectrum. So many, many, many of the early conceptions of the underworld, 
the afterlife, the tomb, uh, were caves because they're tombs, you know, the under, this is the burial, this is the entrance to going literally under the earth. And they're cold and they're dry because those are the qualities associated with the lack of life. So here we are with our candle, heat, and our water. Yeah. Two necessities. Yeah. Uh, Lady Kavara said they were ultra focused on eternity. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, I think we are as well. Mm. No. No. Not in the same way. Um, yeah, not in the same way. I mean, if we think about eternity, it's already it's already happened. Really. Time's not real, man. <laughs> no, the Egyptian uh, cosmology is still understood to be uh, primarily linear. Uh, you are born, you mm. unite with the Ka, you, well, for Pharaohs, you die and you go and on and, and live for eternity in the stars. But um, I'd say trad crafters and many um, northern uh, European and northern Asian worldviews are focused on eternity in the idea that it's a constant cycle. It all comes around again. There's no beginning. Mm. There's no end. There no, there's no was and will be because you're still in the same spinning cycle. So you may be just be standing on this side of was that's over there, but you're just looking at it from a different angle. Soon it will be now when you get there, and this will be was. Mm. But they're both still will be if you're not there yet. That's what I kind of take as being eternity, the constant cycle around and around and around and around. Yeah, but... It never I, really ends. There there are some um, places where we could say that Egyptian cosmology points to reincarnation, points to a, a cycle that comes around again, depending upon where you were born in class and everything else. But I'd say it's a much longer, bigger circle. Mm. Okay. Whereas I think, you know, tradcraft circles are, are pretty fast. Maybe yeah. it's because we, we literally turn the mill. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I suppose, and I mean, if we look at um, things like the Mighty Dead, that's almost like a, an ending to that constant cycle. Well, yeah. Then we get into um, how many parts of the soul and what do they do after they die and is there um, permanence after death? You know, if there's reincarnation, what is what are the ancestors that we're talking to? Have they been reincarnated? How does that work? You know, and uh, uh, again, that's all presupposing a linear timeline mm. where two things cannot be true at once and a singular isolated identity. Mm. And I, I really don't believe in either of those. So... Yeah. It was actually something I battled with um, between when my father died and then my mother died. 
um, because there was there was nine years apart, might have been eight. Um, but when my father died, I was still talking to him, and he told me two weeks before my mum died that you know she's he's he's now ready to take her. And then when she died, they kind of both went off. It was a beautiful thing. Um, but for a while afterwards, there was no communication at all. Um, and I, I, I kind of battled with it because I didn't consider a place to a place to a place to a place. So I didn't know where they'd gone, <laughs> which really confused the hell out of me. No. But yeah, it's the way it went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, not only is not everyone available on the other end anytime you call, but also um, we shift out of resonance at times. And mm-hmm. I think most of us don't realize it. It just, you know, something knocks us out of resonance and we don't get back that time. Um, and we stay in that state for a while wondering why. Why can't we hear it anymore? Why can't we make contact anymore? Why can't, you know, we see anymore? Whatever the, the kinning is we use for that, mm. it, it falls away because um, something in us has shifted or we have shifted. Mm. And it's just not, I don't know. And, and I find, I sometimes I wonder if it's, the grief because um you know i have talked to many of my family members and and lots of other people um as they are dying you know actively going through that process and sometimes that's a couple of days sometimes it's a bit longer and then there is a period where they're unavailable Mm. (laughs) you know just got something to do Mm. yeah and it's you'll get it's like there's a little bit of contact shortly after death because i mean i've experienced and i've read countless tales of someone died and they went and appeared to someone far away that wouldn't have known Mm. and said goodbye or or something you know finish the business that they couldn't do in person within 24 48 hours of, of them passing but um it's after that there's like a time when there's just no contact. That's an interesting topic, actually, because something I have, um, well, I must have read it years and years and years ago, um, but it's something that stuck with me. Um, and I, as far as I remember, it comes from um, Native Americans, mm-hmm. is the idea that there's a 48-hour window after death. Um, where the, the body, the spirit needs to be released from the body, and then the the window closes so it can pass over, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've yeah, always um, heard that as second sunrise. Mm. Uh, once a person passes, you have to complete the the work um, before they they see a second sunrise. Otherwise, they mm. get stuck here. Yeah. Um, so I'll just check quickly. Uh, Yolandi said, I, I used to like the idea of Valhalla until I learned that Viking women, people who died of old age or illness, do not go there. 
Ooh, I wouldn't want to go to Valhalla. Valhalla is a kinning um, for the shelf of the slain. It means the battlefield. It means you were left to rot on the battlefield and no family came to claim you and take you home. Mm-hmm. So not and so when you die in battle like that, um, if uh, Troya doesn't pick you for Folkvanger, um, then you can, as the leftovers, you can go to Valhalla and feast in Odin's Hall, but it's it's in the middle of a battle. The war never ends. There is there is constant fighting because you died on a battlefield and no one did things for you. No one brought you home. Um, so, but later on in the lore, when we uh, had the breakdown of the culture and it went from uh, a masculine culture to hypermasculine to toxic masculinity and returned, Valhalla became equated with an idea of heaven because we were getting the intermixing of Christianity and, and the heathen beliefs. And, you know, then we got the idea of this, this um, eternal destination afterlife, right? That's that Christianity linear uh, afterlife focused worldview. And so Valhalla got uh, into that, and then Valhalla became Viking heaven. Mm. But by then, we have Vikings. You know, the culture and the land and the people are so uh, bereft and impoverished that piracy and um, slavery is what they're doing to stay alive. So, Mm. yeah. Um, but um, women would never end up in Valhalla because Freya gets first pick. Even if women die on the battlefield and were fighting and that sort of thing, Freya would have picked them to go to Folkvanger and be with her. Um, and they also might have been, um, in some lore, recruited to become Valkyries, who are a kind of fate themselves. They get to decide who dies and who wins in battles, they help change the outcome of battles and that sort of thing, including attending to the dead and, and carrying the souls to Folkvanger or Valhalla. So, and uh, yeah, if you die of old age, you, you get to go to hell to be with your family. And mm-hmm. hell is, is um, a wonderful place. You know, hell is the, the goddess that cares for the dead. Um, and we see her as split, both beautiful and full of life and a rotting corpse because we can't come to terms with crossing the threshold of death until we do, you know, because mm. we're in, in life. Life is uh, opposed to death uh, by default vibration. The two are mutually exclusive. But hell is the feasting halls with your family. It's where you get to go back and, and be with all of your ancestors and the, the tables are always filled with food. And because there is a goddess there, there is always a fire in hell. There, you have to go through all of the, the trials and the cold and the dark and the dry places. But in the halls where those who have been taken care of and are honored and remembered, um, so that's part of the reason ancestor veneration is important, 
um, they get to stay with their families and stay in this warm hall with fires and everything else. So hell is really a pretty good place to go in, in heathen thought. It, it's the goal. Um, interesting enough. Um, okay. So if you get picked by Freya and you go to Polkvanger, that is if you were in a battle. Yes. She has first pick of the slain. Um, there are other realms that uh, other gods and divinities and spirits keep um, where um, human souls may be picked to go and travel or in life or death. Because uh, we have the story of the kids that went with uh, Thor back to uh, through time. So, um, but yeah, Freya is um, a goddess of war and strategy in addition to love and lust and uh, as a vanir goddess she is also building a, an army um to protect the world the growing force um so she contributes to that that strategy the the battles the outcomes but um her involvement is not on usually on the uh, male side it's on the female side the strategy the council the negotiations um all of that sort of stuff. So, uh, Freya has an interest in um, women that go to war and, and would almost always select the women that go to war to go to Folkvanger. So, I'm just thinking of different types of death. So, that's slain in battle. Then, old age, and I'm assuming um, uh, sickness or illness or something, you would go to hell. What mm -hmm. about things like um, accidents or suicide? It all depends on what your uh, your uh, those after you do do they do they give you shoes? Do they help you get to hell? Do they give you a proper burial? Do they put you in a ship? Do they send you there, or do they decide you're a rat bastard and toss you in the sea? <laughs> you get some choice in if you build the skills and everything else, but a lot of it depends on what um, the people that care for you do. That's part of the reason there is uh, the Shelf of the Slain, uh, because no one comes to claim you. Now, if you died in battle, uh, you were mortally wounded in battle, okay? Mm -hmm. And your comrades took you off the battlefield and, and managed to get you home, and you died in your own bed. That's most likely going to hell, so you can be with your family, because you, you died mm -hmm. with your family. You will be in the family tomb. You will become part of the family land. So, um, yeah, Valhalla is the dying in battle to always be in battle. And, you know, I know some, some modern vets, people this day and age, that would prefer Valhalla. They would prefer battle. They would prefer that camaraderie. Um, mm. Because, you know, when, when you are forged to be in war it's very hard to not be at war it doesn't feel paradoxically as safe and there's a lot of stuff going on there so you know there's that side of things too i'm talking i'm obviously putting the value on family and, and that sort of stuff but there are warriors that especially when we got to the stage where there were professional warriors where it was a job mm. instead of the farmers had to put down their their hose and go fight kind of thing, but that these people 
could sustain a living and a lifestyle as warriors. That's when we start seeing um, the mythology of Valhalla be elevated um, into something good and desirable. Um, and this is also um, at the same time as the Christian influence is happening. And the where you go in the afterlife question is starting to become more and more of a big deal because mm. um, it's not, the focus is not so much on what happens to my soul after I die before that. The focus is on, um, do I get to stay with my family? Mm. You know, and and then of course there's the, oh, you didn't do the rights right. Now they're a revenant or a dragger or something and getting up and walking around and terrorizing the farm. There's a lot of that kind of lore in there too. You better go back and fix it, you know? Mm. So there are very um, necessary actions that are taken to after someone dies. And um, ancestor veneration uh, and... Um, I don't know, something we might call ancestor healing. I don't really have a term for it uh, because it's just, you know, um, if the person died and they were a terrible person in life, you don't want them coming back while they're still a terrible person. Mm. You want them to learn the, the error of their ways and come back as a better person. So there's actions towards that too. Mm. Uh, hang on, let me go over to the chat because it's piling up. Uh, Pamela Baker. Yeah, that's the next one. Uh, thank you for sharing about speaking with your uh, uh, dad before your mum passed. How do you or others see, hear, etc. ancestors, as in how do you speak to them? Might be a silly question. Definitely not a silly question. Not a silly question at all. Um, this is... Uh, I think this is very similar to, well, not similar to speaking with any spirits. Um, it's going to be different for everybody. Um, I mean, the way I experience it is very much impressions. Um, it's almost a telepathic communication, but there's, I mean, I'll sit there and I'll go, hey, Dad, how are you doing? And then I'll get an impression, but, you know, there's no words that come through. Right? Yeah, that's that's how I experience it. Um I do have dreams or visual impressions every once in a while, but it's only when I'm dreaming or when I'm like intensely meditating. It's not, not my morning, you know, good morning, here's some water. Thank you for caring for me and being part of my family kind of thing. Um, I just get impressions, feelings, um, sensations every once in a while i'll get words but they're like they're an idea that comes up in my mind mm. actually you just reminded me i need to put some stuff on my altar for my dogs because uh, i dreamt about them recently um yeah because this doesn't all doesn't only include people it includes pets and animals and yeah um, i i know a lot of people think when we talk about ancestors we mean uh, dead people who you are genetically related to. Mm. And that's a, a very small drop in the bucket of what ancestors are, mm. at least for me. 
Um, you know, like I said, like Lee was saying, pets are included. Um, people I was close to in life. Um, you know, I, I was a dancer growing up and I had the same dance instructor for 20 years. So she's you know, <laughs> on my ancestor altar and, and part of those offerings and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's all sorts of people like that. I have a, a friend who um, went through the AIDS epidemic and lost many, many friends during that time and is still losing some friends to AIDS. And so he has an ancestor altar of all of those people he was close to. You know, so there's all different, different things that um, qualify someone for ancestor status. Well, I think it all comes into the interpretation of family. Uh, family isn't just or necessarily your blood relatives. It can be your extended family, which extends to friends, teachers, um, your pets, all of them. Um, in fact, another part of that, uh, which we spoke about in a previous show, because I thought it was a, a house ghost that I had, but it keeps following me around from house to house. And you actually mentioned that it's not a house ghost, it's an ancestor. Because it's attached to the family. Mm -hmm. So that, that makes things a whole lot different there. Um, and... And, uh, you know, all of those classifications are classifications that we've made. Mm. House, spirit, land, spirit, ancestor, <laughs> elf, mm -hmm. fairy, on and on and on. And uh, we don't always get it right. No, they don't always like to be stuck into those categories, do they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I already have a feeling that the spirit of this house is going to move with us. You know, um, just it feels comfortable, feels comfortable. Um, we've been talking about moving. So, of course, I've been talking to the house about that possibility. And um, several different times I've had this feeling of things rushing into a box, <laughs> you know, uh, just like your pet does when you're getting ready to go on vacation. They go jump in the car so you don't forget them. You know, oh. <laughs> you never would. <laughs> But take me with you, take me with you. Yeah. yeah. So it things like that happen. Um mm. and and things change and things move. Spirits decide, especially when they become family. Mm. You know? Mm. Yeah, well, yeah that, as I said, I think it, it all boils down to the interpretation of family. Mm -hmm. Um Papami said Valhalla is for the warriors, uh, just feasting and fighting 24-7. No, thank you. There's enough of that in this realm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, the feasts aren't as good. The fighting's much worse here. <laughs> <laughs> and Deborah's joined us. Hello, Deborah. Um, Schrodinger's as cats. Do any of you know if the Disa... Disir. The Sierra uh, are associated with ancestors. Yes. Well, they're, they're the, the female ancestors, aren't they? Well, they're the mothers. The mothers. Um, yeah. So that doesn't necessarily just mean female ancestors, but the Desir are often understood to be um, 
like fate goddesses, and there are lots and lots of different ways that um, fate goddesses and different spirits interact with fate in heathen cosmology. But the Desir are the ancestral mothers. That's usually how that's translated. So your personal mother line, your mother, your grandmothers, your great-grandmothers, are all your Desir. Eventually, they get far enough back that they become like clan mothers, tribe mothers kind of thing. Um, and it's not so personal anymore. And that's often who um, people are referencing, offering to as Desir in a community level. Our collective mothers, you know, um, when we go far enough back that the triangle of how many ancestors you need versus how many uh what the population was <laughs> turns the corner. That's where we're talking often when we say Desir. So yes, human ancestors, but ancestors of so many humans, they're kind of like goddesses mm. because their, their mother energy protection, you know, want to see life continuing is now in everybody that's alive. So they have that influence. How do the alpha fit into that? Um, well, the I remember reading once that whereas the Desir are the, the feminine or the motherly side, the alpha are the masculine fatherly side. The alpha are usually, um, usually men, but not always. Uh, that were so devoted to their land that they cared for it like their children, and then they become alpha after they die because they want to stay and care for the land. So it's not um, connected ancestrally? Oh, it's often connected ancestrally because usually you're still on the land. <laughs> mm. You know, and it's your great-grandfather that's out there doing that. Or you're, again, great-great-great-great hit that that mm. curve where it's everybody, you know, and um, those can be understood to be the alpha. But you've also got to realize that um, there might be um, confusion or there might be differentiation of the elves and the fairies and what it's translation things and, you know, um, Heathenry is not a monolith when we look back at the cultures that we're talking about as the Archheathens and the Urheathens and then the late stage Viking eras when, when the culture starts to break down. Even within any of those given time frames, there's thousands of different beliefs. And manipulation of the language is extremely important. So we don't really know we're doing our best to guess at what mm. these are based on the, the stories and that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that the people that lived in this village believe the same as the people that lived in this village as lived in this village, you know, or belief wasn't, wasn't the thing action mm. was deeds were behavior was what was expected to conform. Belief was your own business. Mm. So, you know, 
My my understanding of the Alfar is what I explained, but I've also heard that this is just another word for fairy, and these are akin to the Shining Ones, um, that class of fairy, because there's also the confusion with fairy just means fae, other. Mm. Um, so there's all that stuff, too, in there. And then there's also um, some beliefs that the Alfar are... Landvites, and that's the same thing. Mm. That Alfar is just a um, another way, uh, or or maybe more properly, um, a classification that we can use in comparison to uh, the De Vergar and the Asignor and uh, that sort of thing in poems, so that it fits the um, the pluralization rhyme scheme. The 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 elves and the dwarves and the so on, so it matches. So in our modern interpretations, as we know it so far, um, could say the elf are elves, which are then uh, fair folk, or is it or or and are the... Depends on who you ask. Yeah. I don't think so, because I have no mm. problem interacting with the elf they are not um, bothered by iron, in my experience. Mm. And that's usually a good sign that they're either from the land or human. Mm. You know, because, um, I mean, I've had plenty of interactions with fairy before I got into blacksmithing and all of that tradition. Um, and so I've, I've kind of noticed who's stuck around and who hasn't. <laughs> who maintains a safe distance and who doesn't, you know? And so that's been a distinction for me. But um, what I identify as the Alfar and uh, never been tutted for using that designation, it's the mm. best I got, which don't seem to be bothered by iron. Okay. But, you know, there are other people that... Um, because of the relationship of Freud to Alfheim and some of the stories there are quite certain that the, um, the Alfar are the elves and the shining ones and, mm -hmm. and all of that. And I honestly think that's one of those things where um, different people are using the word Alfar in different ways, or perhaps they're using it in that kind of top category way mm. of just meaning other world beings. Yeah, because it does get a bit um, difficult to figure out sometimes because it's almost like some people are referring to their ancestral, their, their fatherly ancestral line as being um, part of the, fa the, the fairy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and putting them in that, that fair folk classification. I see that I don't yeah, I don't yeah. think that makes sense from reading the lore, but again, that's my personal interpretation. But I can absolutely see how that would be because a lot of people um well they're coming at it from a modern conception mm. of what do these words mean. They're doing one to one translation instead of understanding the nuance of the way the poetry is used. And the, the biggest problem um, 
permanence and um, anachronism, viewing history as a monolith. We want to know what they believed. People writing didn't know what they believed. Not as in, I've taken a survey of the community and we all think this. That wasn't a thing. You know, it's just like today, if I say witch, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, this witch or that witch or this witch or that witch. There's a whole bunch of categorizations under there, right? And it doesn't really tell you, tells you something about my beliefs, but not a lot. Not that you could pin down. And so when we get to the classification of spirits, especially when we're looking at another language in another culture that's spread over many, many wide um, time periods and geographical areas, there's not going to be a definitive answer. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's things where we can definitely say, this means in this realm, but not in this realm. Sure course we would lose all meaning without that but alfar is one of the really murky ones mm. because uh i think because of the translation to elves yeah. you know and and literally alf means elf that <laughs> that is the etymology of the world word but we don't we don't know if it's like the shining ones twatha de danan or um if it's a more of an overarching category uh, that would include all sorts of other world beings, which is the way it's used further north. It's not a singular unitype, you know, defined thing. Because, I mean, then there's also like the Holdra folk. Um, mm. You know, if we were further north, the Holdra folk would be fairies. But they're not called that. They're called the hidden folk. Yeah. So hmm, here we are. Mm. Off on a on a tangent. That's very regional regional as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Chat is is getting clogged up here. All right. Shredding this cats. Uh Valhalla sounds a bit like a ghost repeating the last moments of their deaths. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well and anybody who's been on a battlefield knows that there's um there's still a battle going on, right? Mm. We used to say the ground is still hungry for blood, but I honestly think it's because the ground hasn't been healed. Mm. You know, all the people that got up and walked away. Um, Yuli said, uh, coming from a Christian background, I find it difficult to shake the heaven and hell beliefs. It can be difficult. I do. I do think that one way you could possibly uh, reword that to maybe switch over the beliefs over is to use the terms upper world and lower world because um, they are very similar concepts. You have heaven and you have hell. You have upper world and you have lower world. True, but the the thing about heaven and hell is it's an eternal reward or punishment. Mm. And that component is missing in most pagan worldviews. Yeah. Uh, what I'm thinking is if we if you start rewording it, then you can start yeah. rewiring um, perception on the concepts. I mean, a lot of a lot of pagan people still use the words heaven and hell. 
Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of pagan people are still in a Christian worldview. Yeah, but I mean, Hecate is often referred to as the queen of heaven and hell. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And there's also, you know, heaven and hell have meanings that aren't connected to an eternal afterlife. Yeah, Christian ideology. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the word heaven was around long before the concept of Christianity. Um, And, you know, it has to do with uh, complexity. It has to do with uh, filters and, and, and those kind of ideas. And, and the very, very basic idea of up (laughs) heaven is what's up there. Um, So, you know, uh, that includes clouds and birds and that sort of thing. That's why the birds can be the messengers to God. That's why they're um, the representation of the soul after death, because they can go to the upper world. You know? Um, I'm going to say thank you. It really makes sense. It's a pleasure. Uh, Papa Me's pets are loved ones, so family. Yes, absolutely. Uh, every night I say good night to my dead pets, and in the morning I say good morning to them. Yep. Uh, Solemn Cern, how does cleansing and clearing the home affect ancestral spirits that hang around? Do they leave and come back? No. I, I've not found a witch powerful enough that they could clear an ancestor away. Yeah. Honestly, they're just not affected. Well, I don't. I wouldn't think they would be because they are. They're connected to you. Yeah. Kind, kind of like trying to clear a, a thought form that somebody in a house has created. Can't clear it out. It's not. You know, people the go around with their. Yeah. Yeah, they go around with their sage sticks and everything else, and trying to clear this spirit, this ghost, out of the house. But it's a thought form that person created, and it's attached to them. You can't. It's coming it out. out of them. It's manifesting from them. Yeah, it's the same with ancestors, they're attached to you. It's like there's a tube of toothpaste that is squeezing, and even if you wipe away the toothpaste at the end, immediately behind it is more. (laughs) 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 It never stops. Now now we could get into the the whole idea of, you know those Colgate toothpaste with the four colors? Oh, no. (laughs) I did an experiment once with when I I used to teach... um, a class for interior design and mm-hmm. I took a took a tube of toothpaste in and I said to them one day, Okay, we're not doing any lectures today. We're gonna find out what's inside. So I cut it open. And it's a mishmash. We don't know how it came out in four perfectly divided colours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that's completely off track. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole YouTube conspiracy hole on that. It's insane. Mm. <laughs> But anyways, um, if you have ancestors that you're in relationship with and you cleanse your house, it's not going to touch them. Mm. You know, because your family bonds, your relationship, um, your uh, connection with them is what brought them there. And you're not cleansing or severing or removing that when you're sweeping house. So. I just just had the imagery of trying to get rid of your mother-in-law by doing cleansing. 
<sighs> yeah. Sweeping them as we nor out. <laughs> there are some some quite literal uh, things that happen like that, but they're not. They're with people that are in your space, not. And I mean, mm. that would work on ancestors if it were that same relationship, right? Mm. If it was just somebody brought a friend spirit that just showed up in your house and you had no relation to them and no desire to have relationship with, you could shoo mm. them out of the house with a broom. Sure. Mm. You know, but I, guess, um, I, I wouldn't call that an ancestor. Yeah. But I guess it is a bit like that. I mean, the, an the ancestors you want to work with, you want to keep around. So if you do a cleansing, you're not going to get rid of them because you want them to be there. Right. Same with any, any kind of spirit. If you want them to be there, you can do a cleansing and it's not going to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's do one more and then we'll go on a quick break. Uh, Yuli said, my ancestors visit me in my dreams. Uh, it started when my maternal grandfather came to show me he is happy where he is. It was the most peaceful feeling I ever had. It is a wonderful thing to actually get that confirmation after somebody dies. Yeah. Just your loved one. Mm -hmm. All right, then. And I find that ancestors nope. do come through dreams. Well, let's finish this conversation with Solemn Sun here. Um, okay. Are wandering dead considered ancestors? Nope, they're wandering dead. Ancestors doesn't just mean dead people. Mm. Ancestors means uh, spirits that you most likely had a relationship with in life and you continue that relationship in death. That's primarily. There are also ancestors that you never met in life that you mm. build a relationship with after they're dead. But those more often fall into the mighty dead and, mm. and that sort of thing. And we can talk about that when we come back. Okay. All right. Uh, well, should we do Solomon's son's question? Quick? Yeah. It, it's um, about connection. Yeah. It's about connection. If you form a deep relationship with a spiritual entity, is that to say at some point they can't leave? No, they can choose to leave, just like you can choose to stop being friends with somebody. But mm. uh, you're not going to uh, send them away with some sage and a broom and some salt and some water. That's, mm. that's you know, not on the level the ancestors are operating at. No. Yeah. All right, then, we're going to go for a quick break. Stick around. We'll be back. And check out the link in the, in the description, the link tree, where you can find Wildwood Temple on Discord, Wildwood Temple on Facebook, our website, our podcast, everything. Okay, and we'll see you just now. Be right back. Welcome back to Into the Wildwood, a pagan podcast. And today we are talking about ancestors. Uh, see, Deborah had a question. Are there wandering dead for real? Yep. Mm -hmm. well, so, how do you define wandering dead? Wandering dead are, um, I mean, they're hungry ghosts. 
they're the dead that have not made it to the other side for some reason. And uh, they're wandering around either trying to find their way or hungry. Because, um, you know what? Everything eats. <laughs> That's mm. one of those um, kind of universal things. Um, dead who are not fed die in, in a different way. So, um, and we have all sorts of mythology and all sorts of cultures about the wandering dead. We have revenants. We have draugr. We have hungry ghosts. The wild hunt is a phenomenon that deals with the, <laughs> the frequent process of wandering dead um so yeah they're they're absolutely real um i think a lot of people don't know how to die um they themselves do not know how to get themselves to the other side um i honestly think christian beliefs in in things like heaven and hell have exacerbated that problem greatly um mm. and there are are great swaths of communities of people that have no idea what death rights really are and what needs to happen. So if you yourself don't know how to die, your friends can help you get to the other side. But if nobody knows what's going on, um, it doesn't tend to work all the time. Um, I kind of, kind of see it like the, the soul gets trapped in the body body disintegrates and then the, the soul hasn't made it across because the window is closed. So they yeah. end up wandering. They end up wandering around. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes stuff just doesn't work right. Also, like you say, the window is closed. The window doesn't always open. Mm. <laughs> I mean, just like there are uh, seasons and tides uh, that roll across the earth and times of the year where the wild hunt comes by and there's totally an opening to the underworld, what we call the thinning of the veil. There are times when like, it just won't do the thing. Mm. It just won't open. And people who died during that time kind of get stuck on this side for a little while. There's kind of a buildup. So, you know, this is not a, a cut and dry mathematical linear clean process it's mm -hmm. it's like birth getting through to the other side of another world is messy dangerous and often needs intervention and help and sometimes it just straight up don't work <laughs> you know mm -hmm. for, for all the things we do or would like to do their factors beyond our control also and I mean, there are some who just don't want to go. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've had, had a situation before where uh, it was um, a dead spirit, dead person, who decided they just wanted to torment somebody uh, because they were just that person in life. They're going to carry on being that person in death. And, you know, you can open portal and go, go ahead. And I'll go, no, I'm not going. And it's a case of literally throwing can, them through. Yeah, you can push them through. Mm. <laughs> there are yeah, ways no. to do that, but you don't this have to put up quite with... Stroppy. You don't have to put up with the assholes. But no. <laughs> um, also, spirits do change over time on the other side. 
Mm-hmm. Like you said, going to be that way in life, going to be that way in death. That's usually for a short time frame after death. Or when they're stuck here. So still... See, I don't think those are intelligent spirits. But I don't mm. believe that in a singular entity that dies mm. and our whole consciousness transfers over to the other side in that way. None of that That's makes sense. I mean, when we talk about phantasms as well, um, I mean, I usually see that as a kind of a the energy echo of the ego that's left behind, which fades away eventually. Yeah. But different to what we're talking about with here. Yeah. 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 And a whole whole lot to um, theorize and poke holes in and and <laughs> about uh, what happens when you die. The greatest questions. Mm. You know, but I still have still have a million one questions and wonderings. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've already died. I know. Maybe that's why I got more questions. Than I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I think to a certain point that's the point of initiation: die before you mm. die, so you know how to die. Yeah, yeah. definitely was an initiation. But the, 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 the problem is, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, ask a question and get 20 more questions. Oh, so, yeah. You know, it's that yeah. kind of situation, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Uh, That's why so you got to talk to the ancestors. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I need to do that more, actually. Um, Schrodinger's cats, uh, any thoughts on sharing food or drinks with an ancestor in ancient Greece? Uh, this was seen as inappropriate. Yeah, you. I mean, as as far as I know, I have. I do think I've heard of some people who say they do share um, offerings, but it's not something I would do because you're giving it to the dead, which transforms the the food. We always share food and drink with our ancestors. Um, yeah, but... yeah. I don't think about it. We make plates for them. We have a dumb supper with them. Um, Mm. We give them offerings in the morning. Uh, In fact, it's kind of considered rude to put something on the altar that you don't consume. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Of course, some of my ancestors, I have an exception to that. My uh, father-in-law, he likes beer. I don't drink beer. That's okay. I drink the water I put on the altar when I put beer out for him. Stuff Mm. like that. Um, but so in, in my personal practice, influenced by heathen custom and traditional craft, um, it's rude not to share food with the ancestors, Mm. uh, because they're family and you feed your family and you need to feed the dead. Um, that doesn't mean we eat after them. No, I'm actually wondering. Sorry, showing us cats. Can you just clarify something? Is this about giving food to the ancestors and then taking that food and consuming it yourself, or is it sharing a meal and then that plate of food gets discarded on however you discard offerings? Because um, that's that's what I was thinking. Is that you? I mean, we share plates. You you make a meal and you share a plate with the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wouldn't consume that plate of food. Well, no, they did. Yeah. You know, eat food out of somebody else's. I'm not going to say that in public. That's not appropriate. There was a whole movie about that. It was super gross. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I got that. No, okay, no. Um, because there are, the only there way are... to after somebody else ate the food. <laughs> I mean, sorry. Okay, I'm done. I've got I've got hot chocolate here, and it's brown. Okay, we're gonna stop that I'm conversation. Not into it either, and I don't want to think about it. My brain's doing it. I. <laughs> um, but I think this comes to um, uh, something like prasad in Hinduism, where you give an offering of food to a deity, and that then gets blessed, and then it gets passed around um, to the whoever's in the community, family, community, whatever it is. And I think people confuse that with giving offerings to um, ancestors or spirits and then consuming it afterwards. I have, I've seen, I've, I've actually heard people doing that. So okay, that's, that's, that's yeah, why that's, I'm wondering about the question. That's a really weird overlap that I wouldn't have considered could mm. be a confusion. Because it doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. Um, anyway, joining us, can you please clarify uh, which which one it is? And we'll move on from for now. Uh, we'll come back to that. Um, so Deborah said, "I saw my niece's husband's spirit three times. So they are just called the wandering dead, like one would call it a spirit of the one who is dead." He likes me. I know he is going to do something every time I visit her. No, that's not the no. wandering dead. The wandering dead are not people you know. Yeah. People you know are ancestors, or potential ancestors. Mm. Oh, Tom said, I'm also confused on this as well. Whether I discard or eat the offering, not sure. Uh, both with ancestors and deities. Okay. So if you're doing something where you want the, the, a deity to bless an offering that you will then share with your community, that's very different to if you are giving an offering for a deity or an ancestor or spirit to consume. And I, See, I wouldn't use the word offering in the first part because I think that's what makes it confusing. That first part is not mm. an offering. Yeah, You're asking a for a blessing. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and when you have a deity bless food, they bless all the food, right? The entirety of the food. And then you take a portion and that becomes the offering. Yeah. And you yeah. return it to the deity. You give some to the ancestors. But that same concept you're also offering to you that's how you get the blessing in you is you eat the food that was blessed mm. right but again you can't eat the food that somebody else already ate mm. that's why that's taboo if you think about that process right um whether you, go there again. right <laughs> but, but, but that's the reason it's taboo that's yeah. the reason it's unclean that's the reason it's inappropriate. You don't yeah, want to do that sort of thing. In very simple terms, you would be eating your ancestor's poop. Right. Or God's or whatever. Um, mm. That's So blessing the food mm. is something that you call a divine 
um, intelligence, a higher intelligence, a divinity for. Ancestors don't bless food. Mm-hmm. Um, Housewives, land spirits, uh, fetches, kinmates, they don't bless food. That is not within their realm of things. Blessings come from divinities. Mm-hmm. Okay? So um, you get the food together. You say thank you for everybody who worked to make the food happen. And then you ask for a blessing because you're, you're participating in the cycle of death and life. But you, you ask for a blessing. That's not an offering, even mm. though you've invoked a divinity, you've called upon a divinity, you've done something like that. You should make an offering after that because you called upon somebody to do something. But offerings are giving someone something to eat. And then that's it. <laughs> you you can't eat that food now. Once the the essence is consumed, the spirit is consumed. And, and like we talked about before, um, offerings we find usually dry instead of mold. Mm. Again, because they're taking the moisture and the life essence out of the food. Whereas if they don't do that, then the mold can grow because mm. there's a lot of moisture. Um, but once that is done, what is left is literally waste product. And so it is disposed of at that point. Um, usually we're conscientious and we don't give non-biodegradable things as food. And so often it's best to compost it or return it to the earth to be respectful of the cycle mm-hmm. of life. Um, just like, you know, after eating and you don't consume the bones. Um, be respectful of that. But it is, it is now transformed once it is eaten into something else. You know, and so there's, you do not, it's not food at that point. Mm. You do not want to eat it. That's, yeah, that's not an option. Um, There are taboos in some cultures against tasting the food that you will then give to the dead. Mm. Like I take a drink of the water before I put it on the altar. That is taboo in some cultures because you don't cross contaminate those things in any way. And yet in my culture, it's like a sign of good faith, just like, you know, you would ensure your enemy is not getting a poisoned drink. And we eat the same food. That's a family thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, a way of bonding, breaking bread together, all of that sort of stuff. So that's what I thought we were talking about. Like, you know, actually, did you drink from the same cup? Yeah, because there's actually something that comes to mind regarding the red meal or the hoozle. Um and I, this was a long time ago. I may have, I may be confusing what was said, but it, I'm sure it was by Robin. So the red meal or the hoozle is usually done with the god and the goddess, uh, which father and which mother. But I do recall him mentioning you can do a hoozle or a red meal um, to the fae or to the ancestors. Now, in a situation like that, if you are calling the ancestors to have share a red meal with you, you're drinking and eating from the same cup and bowl and then giving it to them. I mean, we do hoozle for our ancestors at Yule every year. 
Mm. Um, and only our ancestors at that time. Uh, we are that particular hoozle. We do not involve divinities or anybody except ancestors. And when, yeah. well, um, the first thing we do is we get out our offering bowl. So sitting, I mean, we all sit around a table and, and light candles and, and turn down the lights because it's nice to have some atmosphere at Yule. But um, we often have a boar, which is a, a pork line that our cast sticks little bristles into with toothpicks because it's traditional to have a boar at Yule. And, and we have drinks. Uh, and usually everybody has their own drink so that those who want mead can have mead and water and juice and, and milk and those sort of things. And then we have a big bowl, like a like a huge salad bowl kind of thing. And that's our offering bowl. And so it'll be time to toast my ancestors and I'll take the horn and I'll speak over the horn and say, you know, um, I remember my great grandfather and I'll tell a story about him and I will pour some of the, what I'm drinking into the bowl and I will put some bread or some meat or some honey into the bowl. That's for the ancestors. Now we are serving from the same plate, but they are eating from the bowl and we are eating our own food. That bowl then goes outside for the offering at the end of the night. So they're not eating from the serving plate because it's not designated for them. See, I think where the confusion comes in with regards to what I was talking about just now is that when you're doing the red meal with the deities, you're calling the power of the witch, witch father and the witch mother into the wine and bread, mm -hmm. then taking a sip and then giving it to them. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just say, you know, do a hoozle with the ancestors, you won't be calling the power of the ancestors into the wine and bread and then taking from it, would you? No, it would be a, that's not no. something they do. Yeah, and I don't remember that being, well, as I said, it was a long time ago, so I'll have to go and find the reference. Yeah, again. but still, when you hoozle, and you're going to give your offerings to, you know, the master and the green lady or whoever. Um, the first part isn't an offering. It's a blessing. Yeah. It's the renewal. It's the connection. It's the hoozle. It's the thingy you're doing. You're, you're uniting. Um, you're uniting all of the, the disparate frequencies and time streams and worlds and everything else and bringing them together to all manifest through this singular shared meal that we can then all eat and be nourished. Mm. Um, but they haven't eaten it yet. You're going to divide it up and give them some and you're going to eat some. There's a division mm. before eating happens. So I... You see, there's, yeah. there's a difference between that, that process and what you would do if it was just the ancestors. Because you're no. asking the deities to bless first. But I still bless the food when it's the ancestors, or I'll still ask the gods to bless the food. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't mean that... You know, I don't know if you can see where I'm, I'm, I'm connecting a confusion. I guess I don't, because they're so, separate processes. <laughs> I know, I know, but I think that's where, where confusion can come in, is that, you know, it's explained that the hoozle is where you, you ask the deities to bless the meal, and then you share it, and you give an offering to them as well. And then do it, do it with the, you can do it with the ancestors, you can do it with the fae. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. which kind of makes could make somebody think that then you can call an ancestor to come bless your food and wine mm. because then it becomes the same process it was it's not explained that if you're doing it with the ancestors of faith first get deities or yourself to bless the food then share it with them um well, that's why I say I read uh, it was a long time ago, so I'd have to go back and try and find out where that reference was. I'm sure it was in Witching Way. The... I, I feel like the old cranky witch in the corner banging their cane on the floor, but that's why you learn from more than books. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you stand in a can. circle, well, I understand, <laughs> but you can ask people. Yeah. You know, if you go through a ritual with someone, if you, you ask someone that actually does it, those are very very different operations mm. and um yeah i can i mean they are often presented all together in one ritual flow especially when mm. we have books that give you a ritual outline to follow which i don't know i'm of two minds about on the mm. one hand it's really nice to have some cliff notes to refer to especially when you're learning things and you aren't real sure of your words and what comes next and and that sort of stuff. But I think there is a great emphasis on these as if um, these are the secrets, you know, these are the great um, things that must be done instead of it's, it's all of the, the understanding behind those actions and words. Mm. It's all of the knowledge that makes it come to life and allows you to actually have the potential to do it. Knowledge doesn't make it happen. Understanding doesn't make it happen. But without that understanding of of what all of this represents, what you're referring to, what's going on, um, you don't have the option to do the the magical spiritual energy work. Well, I mean, especially in traditional witchcraft. I mean, somebody writes something in a book. That's just one thing. It's very experiential. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've got to go and you've got to experience it. You've got to do the work, the actual moving around and doing it. You can't just read and understand something. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, of somebody for me, for example, who lives where I do, I mean, I had you, obviously. Um, and I was on the Yahoo groups with Robin, et cetera, et cetera. But thinking back, um, so if I read that in a book and, you know, it makes sense because I don't know that the ancestors cannot come and bless something. I'm not even going to bother asking the question. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's why I think these, this show that we do yeah. is very, very important. Yeah, I, I agree. I, over the years, I have learned the most by sitting around and talking with uh, people who have been doing it longer than I have. Mm. Not, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of learning by doing, absolutely. But, I, I don't know. You need both. Mm. You absolutely need both. You need time to, to question things. And you need, you need to be corrected. Like you were talking about, you would have read it, you would have thought it makes sense, you never thought to ask. Mm. You need somebody to be like, hey, you're not doing anything. You know, you're not moving any energy. Let's talk about this or, or whatever it is. 
Mm. Yeah, so it is important to just talk. And you might be wrong, but that's fine. Just, you know. We're all wrong about all sorts of things. I'm wrong all the bloody time. Except my hot chocolate. My hot chocolate's good. Cut that one down. (laughs) Skills skills don't happen without correction. Nobody Mm. learns to play the guitar or the piano by always thinking they're right. Mastery. Mm. Mastery is a path of mistakes. Must be. Mm. Otherwise there's no mastery. Yep. Hang on, did I read that one? Okay, Solemn Cern, uh, with the concept of past lives, are we ancestors to others at different points in time? Time's not real. Um, are people within past lives connected? What are your thoughts on thoughts on past lives? Uh, watching the show over time has been very mind-expanding and helpful. Okay, that's good. All right, so, yeah, time's not real. It all happens at the same moment. I can't even say that because the moment's a moment's point in time. <laughs> well, the simple thing is, if you accept the premise of ancestor veneration and that ancestors can do something, you have to be a good ancestor. Mm. Whether you believe in linear time or not, you're going to be dead at some point, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people are talking about Pluto and Aquarius and the advances in life with Saturn and Pisces, and we're going to extend the human lifespan here pretty soon and hit that, that 150, 200 mark. But still, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you think of it as now or later or then or when or will be. You're going to be an ancestor at some point. So if you can accept that, then it's not much of a leap to think that your current actions are what develops the orle that allows you to act as an ancestor for everyone else you're connected to, who turns out is not other people, but also you. Mm. So, yes, you're your own ancestor. (laughs) But in a much more rarefied way than I'm my own grandpa in a banjo song. I mean, there's various ways we can look at this. I mean, if you think that that, um, time all all happens at the same time, um, there's got to be a better way of putting that. Um, The ever-present now. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, Then somebody who is uh, your descendant, is probably sitting there while we're having this conversation with you on their altar. Um, that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way that somebody who you know died is also sitting at their altar and honoring their ancestors. And it's all happening now. Um, and with past lives, uh, that depends on what we view or how the, the human process, the, the life process goes, because we talk about this quite a lot in here is the cosmic soup. Um, but most people, not most, but a lot of people consider being a pure soul. So when you die, you, your soul continues into a new life. Um, it doesn't separate. It becomes a different. Yeah, 
Whereas with the cosmic soup, you get thrown in with everybody and everything else. Plants, trees, animals, stone people, uh, humans, everything. And you get mixed up and then you get pulled out. So you're not the same pure soul you were before. So. Yeah. So are people within past lives connected? My belief is that when you have those past life recalls that are then brought out into story form that seem to be like dreams, I think everybody in there is just you. Mm. You're just kind of well. putting together all of those experiences, you know? Mm. Um, I do think there are kind of globules of you that don't mix as well as other bits. It's soup. The potatoes last longer um, you know, than the, uh, the tomatoes, but the meat lasts longer than that. And, you know, <laughs> the pepper never breaks down and, and that sort of thing. There's, there's different frequencies and densities. So a lot of times I think that the past lives we connect with are, um, the memory of what the soup tasted like kind of stuff the areas we were bumping into repeatedly and so we develop a connection we develop an energetic similarity we have the same flavor mm. and that's why we can kind of tune in to these places and time periods because we've we've resonated with that whether that means this discrete entity was in this body and previously it was in that body and in the future it's in that body I think that's a pretty limited way uh, to understand that. Mm. But I think, um, especially when we're talking about this, so much of the language and the lore and the everything around past lives and reincarnation and ancestors is built on a linear timeline with discrete entities of, of humanity, with discrete persons that are a singular thing that hang together as a singular thing and discreetly experience spots on this linear timeline. And uh, without either of those pre presuppositions, a whole bunch of this stuff just falls away because mm. it doesn't make sense. Mm. I forget the term. I think it was called the egg theory. Um, could be completely wrong there. It was the idea that we are or everybody that exists now has always existed and will always exist is the same person. We're just the same person experiencing different things at different times. Yeah. Um, which is very similar to Cosmic Soup. Yeah. Um, you know, we all get mixed up at some point and time's not real anyway. So we're all the same person experiencing the same thing. It's just that little bits get taken out, little globs get taken out to experience different things. Yeah. And I mean, understanding that everyone is you and you are, is everyone is that big, huge 4,000 foot cosmic view, you know? And it's useful to look at things from that viewpoint at times. It's also useful to look at things from right down here and sometimes it's useful to look at things with a microscope. Mm. You know, what matters, what, what works, what drives the understanding depends upon 
the situation you're in. If we're talking, you know, global impact actions and stuff like that, it's important to realize that we're all connected. We're all one. It's very, very difficult to separate out one little life in one short little span when we start looking at it like that. But, you know, if we're looking at things from the perspective of the candida that lives in our small intestine, we are the macrocosm. And what we decide is a wash of faded events. Mm. You know, so there are no concrete answers to any of this. There are answers that make sense to help you understand what's going on at a certain time in a certain place. And all of them are right and all of them are wrong. Mm. <laughs> Depending upon what you're doing. That's the nature of, of trying to explore the other side. You know, we mm. re really want to know what happens after death. We're really curious, but um, you got to die. And I mean, how much do we really know what's happening right now? We're, we're so curious about what's going on after this transition, but uh, do we have all the answers for what's going on right now? Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, Salimson also asked, are, are guides from past lives also me? Yeah. Maybe. Everything's you. Everything and everyone, every... The whole of existence is you. There we go. I, I think, think the, that's the, helpful. But yeah. <laughs> the biggest problem is trying to explain it. Um, from you know, and even our explanation, it's it's right from our perspective. Yeah. And I mean, yours and yours and mine may may differ slightly, but it's still right for us. And yeah. And my perspective has definitely changed over the years. Uh, you know, uh, changed with new experiences and new understandings and, and new scientific discoveries, all sorts of things like that. Um, but guides also, there's a huge, huge topic. And then there's the whole, um, you know, fetch mates and kin fetches and all of those that are guiding spirits that are connected to a family that sometimes appear as, um, you know, a prominent member in the family a matriarch or a patriarch or something like that. Um, and, and the kinfetch will take on that form. And so those could also be considered guides from past lives type of thing, especially if they show up and you have no idea who they are. And the first thing they do is show you um, when they were your dad kind of thing, or, you know, when they were your grandmother that may still be a, a fetch mate or a kin fetch or a piece of your soul. Uh, there's so many, so many different ways um, to understand and classify things. And mm -hmm. it's very difficult to pin down, especially when we start getting into things like afterlife. Well, um, if ancestors reincarnate, who are we talking to as ancestors? Um, if ghosts stay here on the physical plane and leave those echoes, can they still become ancestors? Um, you know, uh, do they decide to reincarnate and we can't contact them anymore? Mm. So many of those questions. 
Well, I mean, if we if we did have to say past life and future life, and give that that defined, distinct um, soul that passes from life to life um, a go, we could say that a past life, or you, as a past life, is your is your guide now. But so could a future life. Um, because you are all those lives. Then take that concept, mix it all up with, with the soup, and you are all people that have ever existed and will ever exist and exist now. And therefore, everybody is everybody's guide. I think that sort of made sense in my head. <laughs> Yeah, and then we've got you know what we call me, uh, which is sometimes identified as the ego, but sometimes we have a different concept than that. What mm. what lives after death? What doesn't? I mean, I have a unified worldview that answers all those questions for me, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, the right answer. Because there isn't a singular right answer. It's an understanding and a theory born from experiences. And it it's it's not going to be more than a theory. Mm. We, we've run up against things we have no way to prove or disprove. So. No. Jono is here. Hope you're doing well, Jono. Hello, though. Um, Johnny said, uh, my goal in this life is to break some sorrow. I'm tired of this place. I don't want to come back. All I want is to stand in God's presence, whatever he, she is, and stay there. Yeah. It's very different to a heathen worldview. Very different. But I think I, I can understand why people are wanting to do that, especially lately. I understand. I, yeah, yeah I, I, a heathen worldview is um, help your family. Mm. Whether you're dead or alive, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're supposed to be helping your family. <laughs> um, and um, everyone is your family, including the trees and the animals and the plants and the rock. Mm. You know, so there's so many, so many, so many ways to do that, to help your family. Um, and some of them you need to be dead in order to do. Some of them you need to be alive in order to do. So there's lots of different ways to do it. Mm. Yeah, but with all this shit lately, I can definitely understand. Mm. Yeah. In that direction. I think. Um, that, mm. I think that magic workers need to be putting their magic to work to make a better world. Yeah, because we've got uh, generations coming afterwards, and as we've been saying, we are the ancestors that need to um, give a better world to them, to the to our future ancestors. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Oh, Craig is here. Hello, Craig. Hello. So, um, the mighty dead. We're going to get back to the mighty dead. Um, mm. Usually what I define as the mighty dead are people 
who have joined your ranks of ancestors who you admire. That's the reason they're there. You think they're a hero. You uh, think they're someone to emulate. They're not a person you ever knew in life. Mm. You know, they're someone you look up to. And um, this also includes the unnamed Mighty Dead. I know as uh, witches, many people are initiated into lines where the names only go back so far. And then sometimes there are craft names before that. But there's also, you know, the the Desir, the great mothers who um, worked to find these remedies, who uh, made the connections and uh, made the, brought the craft to people, you know, the, the possibility of magic. And there's different belief systems about how that happened and who that is and why. Um, but often the mighty dead are the, the carriers of those lineages between then and us. You know, uh, we we don't know their names. We don't know their stories. We don't know anything about them, but we know that they passed something down so that eventually we could hold it. And so often the mighty dead are included in ancestor veneration in that way. And that's part of the reason they get that kenning um, because, you know, they're they're beyond where we can know their personal names and their personal stories. I remember Peter Padden explaining the Mighty Dead as more of a kind of enlightenment process. Um, if I remember correctly, he he was to he would explain it as taking the cosmic soup, and we get mixed up, and then a blob gets taken out, and each time that the blob gets taken out, it becomes purer and purer and purer. Um, until it becomes so pure, it bypasses the whole reincarnation process and becomes... When you can dead. climb back out of the soup. Mm. Yeah. When you stay yeah. together well enough. I wouldn't say that it becomes purer and purer by default. Mm. It's um, going through subsequent lives. You um, strengthen your hammer um, and your hominya to the point where you stick together in the soup. And then eventually you can climb out on your own and choose. Oh, coalesce, yeah. Yeah, choose your incarnation. Um, but it, it's a strengthening of the the will and the identity, but not the ego. Mm. Yeah, I do remember that uh, as a, and, and he used the term mighty dead for that. And I thought that was interesting. Mm. I've always just, that's just what witches do. <laughs> um, so. I, I never did cross that over. But here we are. Um, different terms mean different things to different traditions. <laughs> Definitely. And people in those traditions. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Jono asked, um, Barden says a pendulum is the best way to communicate with our guardian angels. Do you agree? Ancestor adjacent question. Um, personally, I wouldn't because I wouldn't. I don't consider the guardian angel, if we're referring to the holy guardian angel or the fetch or whatever we're calling it, to be, it's part of your soul. It's you. It's not separate or it's not ancestral in my terms anyway. Yeah, I 
And in the way that Barden understands guardian angels, um, perhaps a pendulum is the best way to do that. Uh, that is not the way I understand those kinds of spirits. Uh, I agree that it's it's your fetch mate. It's your fetch. Mm -hmm. uh, you're familiar, and they are they are separate from you to a certain degree, but they are also um, part of you. Your your um, lives and deaths are entwined. Maybe that's the way to put that. I don't know. They're born with you and they die with you. Or you're born with them and you die with them. Um, it's like a twin. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so I find the best way to communicate with the fetch is through dreams, personally. Um, mm. And sometimes uh, meditation. and But dreams or astral projection journeying, which are really close to dreams. Uh, so. I usually do um, astral temple or inner temple work um, for that. Um, but now, I mean, you can also go into the Greek personal daemon, which is very similar, if not the same thing. And yeah, that's often considered to be, way. you know, I think that's, that's often considered to be part of you as well. Um, what is interesting, if you go into... Damn it, I've forgotten the author in the book. It wasn't Jason Miller, it was somebody else. Um, there's a book called The Holy Guardian Angel, if I remember correctly. And it's a compendium of different authors writing different things about The Holy Guardian Angel. And it's split into... Um, oh, yeah. Aaron Leach put that together. Aaron Leach, there we go. And what's interesting in there is that some people see the guardian, holy guardian angel as being a separate entity, uh, like a god or a goddess, um, but it's, or an angel. It's a separate entity from the person. Other people view the holy guardian angel as, being, as not being separate, but being part of you, but not you, which gets a bit difficult. Um, and then others think it's part of your soul. So there's all these different concepts of what the holy guardian angel is. Yeah. Uh, in ceremonial magic itself. So that's quite interesting. I will say pendulums are a wonderful form of communication and divination because they're very direct um, and, and they're very appealing for that reason early on. And because of that, they're a really shitty divination system to learn on. Um, your ancestors are not speaking directly. The spirits are not speaking directly. They're speaking in symbolic archetypal forms mm. and the closer you can get to those symbolic archetypal forms in your divination the better off you will be on the learning part of things the more you abstract it and the further you get to the direct communication such as using a pendulum and a pendulum board where you ask questions and you get direct answers uh, the more difficult it will be to learn you can absolutely do that once you've learned that kind of thing, but you're the translator when you're using a pendulum. You're the translator uh, when you're doing astrology. Uh, any of those kind of um, analytical forms of divination, you have to be the translator. And if you don't already know how to translate, don't start learning there. I don't think it helps. Because mm. it seems like it's solid, and it's not. 
Yeah. Uh, Solomon Sun said that sounds like the crystallization of the energy body or auric body. Yeah, it, it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's um, the same kind of descriptions of the same phenomenon going on there. Mm. And Craig said, I think of the HGA being the third self. Yeah, could be. Cause, okay, what's the second self? Um, the lower self, uh, sometimes considered to be the fetch, and then you get the, the oh, body. The, the duality yeah, so, of such. Yeah, but, well, it's a triplicity, actually, because you get the body, you get the lower self, the higher self, or middle, lower, higher. Um, so it's considered to be the body, the fetch, and then the guardian angel or the crown, um, etc. I think Peter spoke of it as the dragon and the crown. Mm -hmm. um, that often comes from um, fairy tradition as well. I've forgotten the terms, though. I speak of the star body. Oh, no, I've forgotten the term, but they split it into three anyway. Soul would be second. So a physical body would be the first? Yeah. Usually. Okay. I wouldn't I think want my like, soul separated from my physical body, personally. But. Well, I don't, I don't think it's considered to be separate, but it's a, a remembrance or a realization. So we start with our physical being, and then we do magic, and we get into contact with the fetch, uh, the fetch beast. And we bring that back into remembrance. We bring it into ourselves, symbolically. It's already there, but we remember it. And then the next progression from there is to go to the Holy Guardian Angel or the Crown or whatever people want to term it. That's it's usually the progression that they speak of in a lot of places. Um, oh, oh, chat just popped. Uh, Trodinger's cat said, has any of you used bibliomancy to communicate with ancestors? Never use bibliomancy for anything, really. I've tried bibliomancy a couple of times, and I've not been impressed with it, so I never did really continue it. I doubt I was any good with it, so it's probably a false discard, but um, mm. it's just not something I pursued. So, mm. I have a friend um, who does a lot of bibliomancy. I had to ask him. I had to mm. poke him to see if he'd write a book on it. Probably there not. Get him on the show. There you go. He's already written a couple of books, and I think he's um, done with that that process for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, Craig said uh, soul would be second. Okay. So in that concept, I, I assume body would be first then. Body, soul, and then HDA. Put that. Yeah, I would consider body and HGA to be soul. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I studied ceremonial magic, but it's been so long. and, and mm. all, That was the part, the, the theology and the theory and the cosmology of ceremonial magic I never connected with. Anyways. Mm. So, I didn't hold on to any of it <laughs> either, you know? It's just... it. It didn't connect. I didn't really understand it or intuit it, so I never 
kept it. And obviously, because I can't remember 90% of it. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, John, I said, Lee, uh, you did the Abramelin. Your conception of Guardian Angel has evolved. It definitely has. Um, I read an academic paper on witchcraft and the low culture around knowledge. The African understanding of ancestors is advanced. The Africans, especially, I don't know about other traditions, but I know I had a friend who was Zulu and I used to speak a lot to him about um, his tradition and everything else. And I mean, when it comes to ancestors, that's the Zulu tradition, really. A lot um, of indigenous traditions are. Yeah. Because it's about family. Mm. Again and again and again. I mean, you go to a traditional Zulu person's house, and at the bottom of the garden is the ancestor house. Hmm. Um, you can go into, it's a whole hut. Um, you know, it's not just a little altar. It's an entire freaking space. <laughs> you know, I think that comes into a lot of traditions. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rich tradition associated with Ancestors, ancestor, ancestor veneration, ancestor worship, all sorts of stuff like that through mm. every Yeah. I actually remember driving around, I can't remember the area, somewhere where around Natal, Durban side, um, maybe a bit further down towards, uh, you know, towards Port Alfred there. Um, but I, I do remember seeing, we were driving past and there was like, uh, it was a mountainside. And there were houses, loads and loads of houses. And I was checking every single one. You could see the house. You could see the perimeter of the grounds with the, with the fence. And then there was a, another little hut. And each garden had one. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, coming back to the first bit. Yeah, my definition has definitely evolved. Maybe we need to do a show on... Guardian Angel and Fetch again. We did do a, do a show on Fetch, but it was more related to familiars, I think. Yeah, it was. We talked about the Fetch and the familiars. Mm. That, that angle of things. Okay, so maybe we should come back to that one. Uh, Craig said, when I remote view, I use my soul to talk to my HGA. Okay, yeah, we, I think we definitely need to do it. Holy Guardian Angel Fetch Show. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Trading as cats. Uh, I get good results with, sorry, bibliomancy. I don't know why I say bibliomancy. I, I used to say necrom necromancy as well. Um, the wrong impact on the wrong syllable. Syllable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a spirit associated with the book that gives the answer. Oh. oh. Interesting. Why not? Uh, it, a lot of people was, use the Bible for bibliomancy, um, and it usually needs to be a family Bible. Mm, so, it makes me think about interesting, ancestors I, being associated with the book. Yeah. Um, in Brazil, people who practice Kimbanda are very effective at contacting the dead. I gotta say, necromancy and ancestor veneration are very, very different things. Very different things. 
They are. But, I mean, even when we talk about necromancy, I mean, the original terminology referred to uh, divination with the shades of the dead. Yep. Um, whereas now it's come to mean a whole lot of other things. So I think even ancestral veneration sometimes gets thrown into that yeah, box as well. Mm. Necromancy is, is divination through the dead. And, uh, I mean, you can absolutely talk to your ancestors and ask them questions, and often they reply, but I don't consider that necromancy because you have a relationship with your ancestors. Mm. That's as much a divination operation as it is, you know, calling up your living aunt and asking her what she thinks. Mm. No. Mm. There was also another term that came up recently. Um... Psyomancy, which is also related to um, speaking with the dead. Hmm. Let me just check. PSI? No, SCIO. Divination by consulting the shades of the dead. Oh. Hmm. Um, maybe that term's replaced necromancy. Maybe so. Since necromancy expanded to include all sorts of things, maybe that's the new thing that keeps it back to the original one. Mm. Yeah, all right, then. Uh, oh, sorry, there's another question. So, um, what are your thoughts on the magic that incorporates celebrities and icons in veneration? Is this like the veneration of the mighty dead? I think so. I think it's like the veneration of the mighty dead. Um, mm. People are allowed to do what they want. I think uh, probably it is closer to what our ancestors were doing contemporaneously than what we're doing now because they would have had contemporary heroes, not uh, necessarily heroes from 900, 1,000, 2,000 years ago just because of the way the scope of information and that sort of thing worked. Mm. So um, I think in that way, it's probably more similar. Um, I I don't know. I, I've had some times where I have uh, interacted with spirits of, of celebrities in such a way. Uh, I mm. wouldn't say it was a big part of my practice or a frequent part of my practice, but that's just... I'm not terribly into pop stars and celebrities and icons and, and comic books and, and and those sorts of stories. So not a big place for me. Yeah, I wouldn't have even considered putting a celebrity on my ancestral altar. I no, I wouldn't consider... put it on my ancestral altar. But I could understand yeah. how some people would, especially in our modern world where people are so terribly cut off. I mean, you talking about, you know, there's always a hut in the garden for the ancestors. Mm. That's an expectation. That's a connection. That's a cultural place for it. Most people, uh, like in the U.S. and stuff, nothing like that. There is no cultural expectation of the remembrance or the connection. That's why we have so many people that are so interested in the DNA tests, because they feel rootless. Mm. They they need to know where they come from. 
they need some kind of concrete materialist answers on where they come from because they have no roots. And so I think, um, you know, hero worship, which is part of ancestor veneration, falls into that also. No, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, when it comes to ancestors, I would only consider that to people I've known. Yeah. Um, I can't really say that either. I mean, they've been even connected to my bloodline. There are people that I, I never met who are my ancestors. So, yeah. never, right. never actually knew them. Mm. Um, I mean, the uh, year Betty White passed away, somebody brought her up at our Yule Ancestor Hoozle. Mm. The impact that she had made on their lives. Yeah, I mean, I suppose celebrities, people you haven't met, can create an impact on your life, and they do. There's a respect there that um, could make them ancestors. An influence, a teaching, uh, an mm. admiration. I, it falls in there just fine. Just because it's not something I do doesn't mean it's not perfectly mm. reasonable. And, and thinking about it, I have um, known several people that have included someone like that in uh, a toast. They might not be the first person or the first round, mm-hmm. you know. And um, sometimes there is a separate uh, time for heroes and people that we didn't know, uh, kind of expanding circles of influence kind of thing. The first, you know, the first round is just for um, direct family, people that were your family in life. And mm-hmm. then so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I've seen that done. I think, like I said, I think it's it's closer to what our ancestors were doing. Yeah. All right, then. Um, I think we're going to call it a, a day or a moment. A moment. Um, well, it's <laughs> night. I was going to say call it a night, but it's, it's a day for you. Um, so we'll call it a moment, and uh, we will be back next week with astrology versus demorality. There we go. All right. And we'll see you then. Thank you for yeah. joining. Thank you for the, the chat. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Wildwood. Meet us again next week for another episode. And don't forget to check out our website at intothewildwood.com. That's Wildwood with a Y. And if you would like to support us, you can leave a donation on the website.